Hello all and welcome back to another episode of Movies and Us, a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about movies, stories, and connection. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And today we are continuing off of our previous episode onto The Souvenir Part 2. Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary for The Souvenir Part 2? Sure. In the aftermath of her tumultuous relationship, Julie begins to untangle her fraught love for him in making her graduation film, sorting fact from his elaborately constructed fiction. Oh, yes. He did a great job elaborately constructing that tapestry <laughs> of lies and manipulation. It is a beautiful piece of work. You could hang that on a wall. <laughs> he did. He put in some hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's impressive what he was able to pull off. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's start off with our one-sentence summaries for Souvenir Part 2. Sarah, what was yours? Mine is a peek behind the filmmaking curtain. Mm, Yes, yes. There's a lot of meta, meta, meta Mm -hmm. layers of stuff in this film. My one-sentence summary is sometimes we just need a DIY and make our own souvenirs. Oh, nice. Yes. Okay. Well played. Uh, well, you know, when we, when we started, uh, when I started watching the souvenir part two, I just kept thinking about our last little bit, uh, and our previous conversation around how this really doesn't feel like a sequel. This feels like a continuation of the first half of a whole story. And so I am intrigued to hear your thoughts about the souvenir part two, as we deepen and, and continue on this journey with our main character in this first section we won't spoil anything that happens in this movie and then we'll include a spoiler and then have full reign so sarah thoughts on the souvenir part two at a high level did it work for you as well as the first one uh yeah it it worked for me uh i think it's i i am a sucker for uh movies about movies being made and so i think a lot of those components was really interesting to me. And then seeing her, you know, making these movies as a way to also process through her grief and try to find answers and try to find the truth while making movies, I think was a really interesting choice. Uh, I think that there's in this a lot of cool uh, cinematography as well, like we talked about in the last episode. Uh, And I, I appreciate that there's some moments of like real conflict between our characters. And I think that that was pretty interesting to, to navigate kind of as Julie is finding herself and learning who she is and, and how that colors her interactions with others. I I think a lot of that was really interesting in exploring who this person is now that she is no longer with Antony. So yeah, on the whole, it it worked for me how about you yeah this worked for me as well i think that um the most interesting aspects of this movie to me were its its window into joanna hogg's philosophy and perspective about film and what it means to her and her journey but also the choices that she makes on when to lean in and create versus uh, there's a really great moment towards the end of the film that I thought was just really meaningful in a in a world now where we're like 
we are creating so much content. I thought that there was something that was um, really noteworthy in one of those moments. So in general, I think there's a lot of little scenes that I remember uh, more distinctly in this film that really stood out to me and, and spoke to me. And I thought were just these little little moments, but I feel like they carried a lot of weight. And then I think I think overall this that those are the aspects that were more captivating to me. I think in the first film, there's a lot more of that like character connection and empathy that I had. In this one, it almost feels like it zooms out a little bit uh, to think about art and film as a medium, the creative process, all of that. So it kind of looks at the whole story from maybe a little bit of a higher altitude. There's still a lot of really great character moments, but I think in general, this this movie seems really interested in the way that our lived experiences affect and shape how we view our art and what that means to us and then therefore what that means to the world. So there's there's just kind of like a deeper philosophical angle to this film that I found really captivating and I thought was a really interesting follow-up to the first film, which is so deeply character-driven and, and so infused in like kind of these individuals experiences this one kind of feels like it I, I'm envisioning a camera lens that just like zooms out a few frames and um, we can see a little bit wider kind of the metaphor I have going in my head mm-hmm. no that that is exactly what this film feels like and even the first film is largely at her apartment like there are Things happen in other locations as well, but for the most part, it's at her apartment. And I feel like in the second one, few scenes happen at her apartment, but most of the film is is out in the world. So I do feel like you feel that expansion and, you know, this world widening a little bit as as her world widens a bit. Mm, that's a really great point. We, we both like um, kind of metaphorically zoom out on the like subject material covered but also physically are able to expand and move out a little bit more and to your point there's a lot more moments we have with other characters that I think the 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 film spends more time in than in the first film which as you felt we were really trapped in this relationship with these two people and a lot of the scenes are focused on them just alone together whereas this one there's a lot of other surrounding characters that that get a lot more screen time and, and are able to share their thoughts, perspective, worldviews that we get a little bit less of in the first movie. So, yeah, it's a really great mm-hmm. point. Yeah, no, she has she has friends, she has community, yes. she's out and doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. It was great. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, you go, girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Okay, well this feels like a good time. Let's, let's include our spoiler here so that we'll just have full freedom to, to run around in the, in the plot of this movie. So if you haven't seen the souvenir part two, it is available to stream on Paramount plus with the showtime add on. So we recommend checking it out before continuing to listen to the rest of this episode. Okay. We have full freedom now. Where shall we go first? Maybe share with me, Sarah, which aspects or moments were most noteworthy to you about the souvenir part two. I I really appreciated some of the the conflict that happens in the middle of the film. So, you know, Julie submits this film and the professor's 
whatever are like, Hey, no, this isn't a good idea. Yeah. Uh, and she continues on with it anyway. And so like half of me was like, yeah, man, you have your creative vision. You just go. And then we're actually seeing it play out, you know, and the, the actors are frustrated with her, her, her DP is so frustrated because he doesn't have a shot list. You know, they're not following the script. They don't know what's going on. And you see the, the kind of chaos that, that happens. And there's this kind of like come to Jesus moment of, everything is falling apart and what is she going to do? How is she going to respond to this? And I, I really appreciated that there was such a, a chunk of time spent in that because even though she is a talented creator, she is a good director, people wanted to work with her, she still didn't have it all figured out. And so then to watch her progress and and move on from that conflict I thought was was really interesting and a good kind of character building moment Mm, yeah yeah and 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 I think we have I mean usually when I see like disorganized systems my blood pressure starts to go up because I'm like okay y'all we could do a little bit better here you know like let's put some organization on this but I think that there's two aspects one is that she's a, she's she's in school and there's that that aspect of like putting in the reps and learning from the chaos and uh you know the 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 way that this is able to showcase like these are passionate creators but they're also new and they're learning their craft and they're figuring it out and these are part of the reps to when she gets to that uh more experienced phase of being a creator that we see later on um, as she's older and and is clearly finessing, you know, like she knows how to work all of the, the, the different aspects of um, the studio and the filming process. The other aspect I think that um, gives us a lot of empathy for, for her in those moments too is, is the closeness of the material. And I think that's something that feels like such a direct answer to a lot of the questions and conversations that we had in our previous episode talking about the souvenir part one, which is the process of making a film about something that was so emotional for you is inherently such a confusing, blurry, difficult to navigate artistic experience, both for you personally, but also artistically. And I loved all of the moments where we see those things really come to light. You know, I think that the idea of like healing through our art is so um, attractive and appealing and, and can sometimes be a little bit glorified, but it's freaking confusing, you know? And there's that one of those, one of the moments that I particularly loved is the conversation she has with the actor who's playing Antony. And I think he says to her, like, I, I don't know if you're mistaking your perception of him with the reality of him and, and how, I'm supposed to play this character. And she has a similar conversation with the actress who's playing herself. Like the actress is like, how could you not be reacting to these signs that she can, you know, clearly see like there's, there's a disconnect there between your own lived experiences and trying to portray that um, authentically and then bumping up against all of the people and personalities that have to figure out how to bring that vision to life with something so deeply personal. And I love that the film spend so much time showing us those kind of difficult moments where you have to navigate all of that and you're also processing it yourself at the same time and the, the confusion that bring that comes with that so I thought that was 
really meaningful. And I appreciate the, the, the many moments, the many dimensions of that that we get that leads to the disorganized process of creating something great at the end of this. And those conversations made me really appreciate uh, Joanna Hogg, too, because this is based off of her life, especially the first one. And so understanding how hands off to a degree she was in the first one and how uh, she she allowed you know, for creativity to happen in the first one instead of trying to control everything. And then to see Julie, who is in the throes of processing through all of this emotion, trying to control it. You know, I I wrote down uh, the conversation between her and the actress. At one point, Julie says, no, that's not how she would do it. That's not how I did it. And so she wants to have this this control over her story and and have it look exactly as it happened. And so then just contrasting that with what I know of Joanna Hogg's process of filming the first souvenir is just an interesting meta comparison as well. Mm, that's a fabulous point. Yeah, yeah. The willingness for her to let the creativity of the artist that she's brought on lead as well and let it be organic in some aspects that's that's a trust that's a huge trust exercise especially when it's portrayed as semi-autobiographical and this is your lived experience there's a vulnerability around like this is the the viewers and the audience and the industry are going to interpret your perspectives through this character you know the way that there's so much conversation um, around Meet the Fablemans on what does this say about Spielberg's relationship to his craft and his childhood and the perspectives that are formed. Like everyone's going to kind of an- analyze it in a deeper level around what this what this says about you as a creator and to give that so freely is a big trust exercise. That's a big trust ball. Yeah, yeah, and requires that that security in in who you are and like we talked about last time like humility and wisdom and all of these things and I I think it's so interesting how Joanna Hogg has made these movies uh and to make a movie about yourself and to have that level of grace for your past self but also showing your faults and your failures and the times that you didn't get it right as well. I think she strikes a really interesting balance between those two and and shows that her as a filmmaker has some perspective on her own past and what she has been through to be able to create something like this. It's, it's pretty special. And I, I don't know that a lot of people have put in the work on themselves to be able to do something like this. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is it is kind of kind of insane. I think that there's there's uh, other versions of this that are maybe um, more abstracted out. Like there's there's this the experience or the emotion or the um, perspectives that are ingrained in film, but it is loosely based off of themes or worldviews that the directors care a lot about. Um, but to do it so, so close to home and so close to the source material where the source material is your life is a different, it's a different level. You know, like there's, I'm sure, you know, all of the the analysis of directors and the ways that the, the things that they create are reflective of 
things they were captivated by as a child or in different stages of their life. But to do this so explicitly is another level of, of vulnerability. Cannot imagine. Yeah. No. Mm-mm. Nope. No, thank you. <laughs> Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the other aspects while we're talking about like the the portrayals of them on set, one of the things that I loved is <laughs> one of the moments where she realizes that the the lighting and the angle isn't what she wanted uh, once she gets on set, mm-hmm. and <laughs> there's the like frustration of of the crew members around having to like completely rearrange the set and they're bumping up against each other and whatnot. But I thought that that was such a great little moment of the showing the creative process but also the 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 weight and the the consequences in doing this in such a large uh group of human beings and the organization required to just create a film you know i think it's it's different to kind of change direction or course correct once you um realize when it's you as an individual and there's there's a more tightly controlled environment to do that in but the effect that those small changes in the angle of the shot or the set design on this entire group of people that the director is kind of the conductor of is really fascinating to see. And that dedication to her creative vision was uh, really illuminating to see. Because sometimes you don't realize that that shot looks off or isn't what you envision until you get there and you see it, you know, like – that's happened to me so many times in the creative process. Like I can't plan for some of these moments where you have a, sh- a totally different direction and idea in the moment. Um, but when creating a film, there's so much more, uh, you know, organization that it takes. And, uh, you know, and especially in these like big studio films, the budget that you need to manage and all of that, that um, makes that creative, you know, organic process, maybe just like a little bit different in nature than something that's a little bit more of a solo venture. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And I, I read that moment a little bit differently. Uh, I read that as such a, a character moment for Julie. Uh, Cause we, we haven't seen her really like standing up for herself a lot or even expressing her needs or wants, especially the first movie is largely focused on Antony and what he needs and he wants, and he is the driver of that whole relationship. And so I thought that that was such a good moment for her as a character going, actually, no, this isn't what I want. I want something else. And when she's getting like pushback, which makes total sense from the other people who are going to have to like Mm -hmm. change things around. Uh, She sticks to her guns and she, she asserts her own agency and she makes a decision. I was like, yes, you go girl. You, you tell them what you need. It would have been better if you would have done this a little bit differently, you know, get it right. Maybe the first time, but I was so excited to see her, actually making decisions and actually voicing what she wanted and knowing that what she wanted is important and has value because we haven't seen that from her before. I love that you read that into a character moment. That is great. Yeah. Because she's, she's been so, um, 
it's such an she's such an interesting character because she it she clearly has a lot of ideas and things for herself, but we see her mm-hmm. communicate them in such a timid way. You know, even in especially in the first movie where she's pitching her film idea, there's a there's a a shyness and a quietness about the way that she communicates it. Where, but the the ideas are so fresh and and unique and exciting and she has convictions about things that she's passionate about but yeah that that self-confidence to assert herself and assert her creative vision um I love that you read that as a character moment that's amazing so funny I was just like dang it's hard to make a film (laughs) and do it on time in budget in a smooth way (laughs) yeah absolutely and I I love how that whole sequence is laid out you know, because it's it's set up with the conversation with her professors or whatever the the people who know what they're doing at the school, and uh, and then she goes to it anyway. So you're already set up to know that this is going to be a bit of a train wreck, and you're just waiting to see how it all goes wrong, and then you see all of these little moments. So I just I loved that setup of you're you're laying the scene for conflict and tension. And so then you're going to see how these characters respond. In addition to the point that it's really hard to make a movie, especially if you don't have a clear script or a shot list or any of the things that you need to make a movie. Uh, But I just, I thought that that section was so strong and so brilliant on so many different levels. And when you're grieving the loss of the person that has meant the world to you like yeah I was my like goodness. half the time in this movie I was like I don't know how this person is functioning let alone like figuring out how to corral and and organize and and uh create right now but that's that's I think part of the the thesis of the film is that that was cathartic for her and it it it, it accompanied her and ushered in the healing that she needed but I, half the time I was like man there's just so much that this this person is carrying right now let alone having to figure out how to manage logistics it's hard enough to do that when you're like fully whole (laughs) that's that's totally fair and I, I think it's also fascinating that she is making this fictional movie about this relationship in order to find some truth about who Antony was so like even even her methodology of of trying to get to the truth is interesting to me. She doesn't make a documentary, but it's it is a piece of fiction that will hopefully lead to truth and I think that in itself is also interesting. And I thought it was noteworthy that she she pitched it as a fantasy. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. the first version of the film that she wanted to make for her thesis was something that was incredibly gritty and rooted in reality and 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 um, just there's so much realism and wanting to portray parts of society that she feels like from a privileged background she is not a part of but wants to be able to showcase. And she goes from that to fantasy but to portray something that was very real to her and the way that that can kind can, can of heighten some of those experiences that she had to then achieve the catharsis that she reaches. So I just thought that was was fascinating as well. It was validating because the first time that I watched The Souvenir, I felt like yep. there was this fantastical aspect to it while also being so rooted in realism too. So it was like, Julie and I, I see eye to eye with you, girl. <laughs> yeah, no, you got it. You nailed it. 
Yeah. When she said that, I was like, oh my gosh, we talked about that yeah. in part one. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I was also thinking about how triggering it must be to see this person, this actor, like in the same clothes that this person wore and recreating these moments that you just lived. Like I think the it feels like the suggestion of the timeline of this is like immediately after the events of Souvenir part one. I was like, this is this is really soon, Julie. <laughs> yeah. Wow. To, yeah. to relive those moments in the same, recreate the apartment, uh, recreate the moments where you're dancing and he's, you know, uh, got the scarf on his head. Like all of those moments you're reliving so soon. I just was a little concerned for the time sh- the girl might have needed before she dives into this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the questions that I had while watching this is where are we on the timeline? Mm-hmm. Because at the at the beginning of the movie, it does seem like, oh, it's immediately after. And then, like, her hair grows out, like, while they're working on the movie. So I'm like, okay, like, time has passed. It takes a minute for your hair to grow out from as short as it was to as long as it gets. But I, I struggled with, like, where are we in time? And then she has her 30th birthday at the end of the film. And so I'm like okay, wait, you just had your 25th birthday in the first movie. So the second movie spans five years of time. How does that, like, I was just, I needed one of those little, like, like time lines at the bottom of the film so I could just, like, <laughs> know where we were throughout the whole movie because I was just confused as to where we were in time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that is not the point of the movie. You just got to go with it. But I was like, okay, can we get a date and a year, please? I'm just thinking back to you in a quiet place, part one or part two. I don't remember mm-hmm. which one it was. And part you're two. doing math. You're doing no, the it mental was part math. One. Yes. I was doing yes. math. So please put some numbers on the screen. This is like the, the yes. 90s like yes. videotape cam- video cameras <laughs> that have the little like 1993, August 2nd. <laughs> yeah, I need time and date stamps, please. But if you do that, then I'm going to really focus on it because yeah, it's so numbers. And so I'm yeah. going to hyper fixate on those. Mm-hmm. So it's probably mm-hmm. better that they didn't, but. They considered it, they but they questions. knew they were the Sarah Callan of the world. And they're like, we cannot mm-hmm. distract this person. Yes. whose brain is wired to fixate yes. on small things. They were like, okay, we can't give her more numbers. So you no. just get one number in each movie and that's all you get. Yes. So because. Fun. One of my favorite moments and one of my favorite characters, Patrick, will come to you and say, Sarah, what did you feel after watching this movie? Not that it was great, <laughs> but what did you feel? And your only response will be, you know, these numbers were a little bit off based on the way that the hair grows and the pace that hair grows. Mm-hmm. So yeah. not a little bit of BS, but it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. Can we also talk about Patrick? Because he oh my was my favorite and I wanted – so much more of him yes I wanted to spend time with him me too and I think that's it's such an interesting choice because he is like the polar opposite from Julie in a lot of ways he is um so able to communicate his his convictions he's confident he he has commitment to his craft and his creativity like in a lot of ways he they two rubbing off on each other would be a beautiful thing because they have so many beautiful gifts 
that they can give to each other. Uh, but I, I just, I loved that scene where he just storms off because he's so frustrated that no one can let themselves go enough watching the art that he's created to feel anything. Like it's, it's a, they're all analyzing with their, with their intellectual um, parts of their brains so on to the point where he's like, I just, what did you feel? And none of them can articulate in the room. I, he also has great lines. So after Julie's terrible feedback, he's like, oh, that's marvelously generic. He's like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. He is incredible because honestly, their feedback was trash. Like, especially if you're in film school, I would imagine that you watch a lot of film. And so you learn how to critique it meaningfully. And uh, nope, just marvelously generic feedback. Well, and I also feel like because he emphasizes so much the question that he poses, which is, what did you feel? It mm, feels mm-hmm. like, uh, it feels, it feels like it's also a indictment of the like idea of, of being so caught up in the intellectual analysis that we, we lose our ability to just like give ourselves over to a story and get lost in it. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the root is ultimately the experience that we have. And then all of the like filmmaking components of it all support that but the inability for anyone in the room to articulate that there's there's almost like this you're so caught up in your craft that you can't just stop and appreciate the medium and the thing that you know you fell in love with this craft to begin with type of thing uh which I also just love because I can definitely do that for sure Mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely and I I one of his other lines that I absolutely love comes later uh when she's talking to him and he didn't end up actually making the film. And he says, I could have made their film, but I wanted to make my film. I was like, yes. Cause we, we saw that with Julie as well. And so we see how these two are on similar trajectories, but they're going in different places. And so I thought that that was a really interesting contrast to have these two both trying to make their own film against the, the requests or suggestions of others and then how it pans out for both of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which it's just wild how that's still so relevant for right now too, you know, yeah. around the, we talk about the soften, but that, that beautiful tension of art and commerce and needing the, the, the exposure and the backing and the budgets and resources of studios to get your things made but how much you compromise on your creative vision in order to get there. Such a, such an interesting conversation there. Mm-hmm. Fascinated and, by that. The yeah. Business the art. Yeah. And I would imagine Joanna Hogg probably feels some strong feels about that because it's such a, a highlighted portion of this movie as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see the moment where she, Julie's character needs to ask for more money because she wants to commit to the creative vision around the score that she had in mind, but there isn't the money for it. And she has to go and ask her parents to fund that bit of it. Like everything, there's a cost. I love that. There's a cost to everything in the movie portrays that as well. Yeah, yeah. And it even goes back to something in the first movie where one of the professors is talking to her and he's like, where's your budget? Like you can't make a movie without a budget. And then we see here in this film, what happens 
when you don't have a budget for your movie. Uh, so I, I love these tie-ins between the first and second movie that, like you said earlier, it makes it feel like one cohesive film and not a, a follow-up sequel to the first story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those threads are woven pretty seamlessly versus like we've introduced a set of themes here and now we have a new set of themes in the second one. No, this this re- that was one thing that I was impressed by is at the end of this movie, I was like, this really is a two-part story. And we just, we had a little intermission in the middle. Um, But we end the first movie basically with her at the bottom of the the valley of the story arc, right? It's the, the, Mm -hmm. I can bear this, but it's the equivalent of Fast X. Like we leave with. (laughs) (laughs) Two Um, very similar films. Yeah. yeah, The diesel about to get blown up at the bottom of the bridge and in the same very loose metaphorical way julie's at the bottom of the bridge too and the question is like what will she do from here Mm -hmm. now i'm just imagining (laughs) a souvenir and fast and the furious crossover or what would a fast and the Furious look like directed by joanna hogg oh my goodness oh my goodness i'm just imagining vin diesel in apartment l oh yes (laughs) yeah absolutely preceded by some like beautiful shots of like blooming flowers mm. and a field yeah. of wildflowers and then Vin Diesel. Yeah, man. In a like, wife beater. <laughs> all like perfectly shiny. Yes. Yeah. And then yeah, glowing we just, skin. Yeah, we get some races through London. <laughs> Excellent. We got it. We get, we have a movie to pitch, uh Universal <gasps> Studios and U twenty four. We're we're ready. We got yeah. good content for you. Yeah. Imagine Julie in a car with Vin Diesel driving. Yeah, that's a great time. That can mm-hmm. be her next film. She's making a documentary about Fast and the Furious. Oh, man. Yeah. Great, we got it. This is great. The crossover we didn't know we needed. Uh, okay, other things that we wanted to mention, call out. What other scenes really stood out to you? Uh, I absolutely adored the scene at the very end of the film where they're interviewing Julie, the older Julie. She's about to turn 30. And I think it's on the set of the music video that she's filming. And I think the question is something along the lines of like, what, what, where do you think you're going from here next? And she says something along the lines of, I'll wait to create something when I have something to say. And for now I'm, I'm building up experiences. And I just love that so much because I think that we just live in a, in a time where there's so many opinions, so many voices. We love sharing our opinions. We love just outputting and creating so much content. And for someone to have the wisdom to hold all of those perspectives back until the right moment, I just think is really meaningful. And it's very reflective of the way that Joanna Hogg has also chosen to create in her lifetime as well. I think she was in her late 30s or or 40s before she created her first full feature length film. And the wisdom in that I just think is, is rare to find someone who's willing to hold back all of that until the right moment. Um, So that level of restraint and the, the wisdom to know that there's more that needs to be deepened and and aged over time like a fine wine before it's ready for the world I just thought was so 
meaningful in the time that we live in now. Mm -hmm. I love that too. I I wrote that line down as well uh, because I I feel like that is an, an art and a piece of wisdom that we have lost uh, because we do live in this content creation moment where if you're not constantly producing content, if you're not always there with something to say, then you're just kind of glossed over, you're forgotten, you're, you're left. And so I, I think having that line and showing Julie with that wisdom that is so contrary to how we do things today, I think that that was really powerful and something really important just to, to think about and, and ruminate on of why am I creating what I am creating? What am I putting out there for the world? Is this, has this matured enough for me to release it or does it need some more time? There's so much wisdom in that. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a little soapbox that I can get on around Ooh, yes. influencers and, and, you know, celebrities writing memoirs for the sake of, again, content creation, like forming their narrative and forming their personal brand. But a lot of them, like there, there isn't that deepening that you have when you've done the work and the reflection to have something meaningful to add to the gamut of the slew of all of the memoirs and stories and, and perspectives and opinions being told. So I just think that sometimes we don't need to write a memoir if we're maybe like 32 and perhaps we need some more time and some more life to live before we're sharing all that perspective. I know, and this is the commerce side of it because there is an aspect of being able to share your narrative and have people get to know you through writing these memoirs. But again, I just feel like there is something so wise about holding back until the right moment. We don't need to put our stories, all of our stories out there all the time unless we think that there's something that's that's really worthy that can be shared or or recognizing ourselves that there's more that needs to be uh, examined and uprooted and reflected upon before you want to put that out there. You know, like there's some things that uh, you might change your perspective on around your own story that you will have to, you know, put out again. Uh, and so – I just am thinking about all of the 30-somethings that already have memoirs. <laughs> and I think that we could use some wisdom and judgment there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm always fascinated when I see a 30-year-old with a mem- memoir. I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. like what? Let, let's chat about this. There's a, pri- there's a pride in, in believing that like there is enough of your story mm-hmm. that you've lived through. To put that out there in like a 250 page yeah book of words for people to read yeah it's true yeah but let's be like julie let's store up our information and experiences until we have something else to say you know because mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. also think there's something about how a story is told as well because sometimes you, you go through some things and, and you want to tell that story, just like Julie, she wanted to tell the story, but she told it through this fiction fantasy thing. So I, I think there's even some value in 
letting that marinate for a bit while you go, hey, what is the best vehicle? What is the best method to tell this story as opposed to just like, boop, I'm going to do it this way when that might not be the best way to tell it? Yeah, that's a really good point too, which is um, the the method of it being out in the world because th- there is – I don't want this to be interpreted as like we shouldn't be telling our stories because there's so much power in storytelling and we absolutely should. But what medium and what format and has your own perspectives about things evolved and deepened enough that it is ready? I think that's just a lot of stories that are um, told without that same like thoughtfulness that and I just appreciate the thoughtfulness of her realizing that there's more that she wanted to allow to stew and to, to, to deepen over time um, versus it being maybe it was ready at that moment in time, but maybe it isn't yet. And the, the extra thoughtfulness around considering that is, I think, what's meaningful. Not necessarily maybe the timing, but the thoughtfulness to go that extra mile to think about it. Yeah, and even even the growth in her as a character to recognize this. You know, her, she initially is making this film to help process through her feelings and her grief and, and learn more about Antony. And it was probably too fresh and too new for her to do that. And so she's, she's learned from that. Uh, And I just, I, I appreciate that we can see that this character isn't staying static and she's not doing things the same way that she used to do them. And she's also not, wholly focused on that experience anymore obviously that's still a big part of her life because it was such a traumatic experience so young but that hasn't shaped her identity and she knows that there will be other experiences that she will go through that are worthy of sharing that are worthy of you know creating films about and so I just I I love that even that moment it's so wise and it's so refreshing but it also shows that this character is is stepping into who she is as a person uh and is no longer as consumed with the grief as she was at the start of the movie mm, yeah because even the way that she frames why she's wanting to wait to create something when she has something to say is she follows it up with for right now I'm just I'm living my life and building up experiences and Mm -hmm. and through those experiences are when those perspectives and and wisdom and meaningful um musings to share with the world are are able to connect with each other across experiences or to be shaped by other people's experiences like I think that there's there, it's not an idleness as well. Like she is actively engaging with the world, engaging in herself, growing. And through that comes that when the time is ready for that thing that she wants to create and put out into the world. But in the meantime, like there, there's something like really fun and exciting about that idea of like, for now I'm building up experiences and all of those little individual pieces will come together in some, some way, in some mosaic. And when that's ready, it will be ready but now she's collecting the pieces. I just thought that was a really great way to frame it too. Mm-hmm. And then we see her actually living a life yeah. and, and having her friends over. And I I also appreciated that this film ends kind of where the first one started because 
she's having a party at her flat and she's surrounded with people and just having a good time. And so I, I thought that those parallel bookends were also really nice. Like we've been through this whole journey. She's changed so much as a character, but we still get to see her enjoying life and enjoying being with people and enjoying creating with people. I thought that that was a really nice touch. Mm, yeah. Oh, I just felt so much catharsis in that final scene of seeing her just the way the actress plays the difference in countenance of Julie from the, you know, 75% of the rest of the first movie and for this one. And then just the, the light that she's just emanating and the confidence that you can palpably feel as such a shift from the Julie that we've seen over the course of the rest of uh, the previous uh, movie. And then this one as well, it was just like, Oh, we're just celebrating with her. I'm like, I just feel like I'm her friend at this party. Just being like, wow, look at the person that you have grown to be. And you can see the true healing that has happened for her. And that was such a high to end on. I, I expected this film honestly to end a little less, positive than it actually did and I was like yeah. pleasantly grateful that <laughs> it ended on yeah. such a beautiful high so that was really great and it, it doesn't feel like cheap or cheesy either because I, yeah. I I feel like we go on such a journey with this character that like of course we're rooting for her but we've also seen her put in the work and so it feels earned, you mm -hmm. know, and, and it, it feels like her stepping into who she is and stepping out of, you know, all of the the baggage and the trauma and all of the things that she went through. And she's she's really stepping into who she is. And, and it just feels so good. It's wonderful. When we started this journey, I would not have thought this these two movies would have ended so oh, warm and yeah, fuzzy, no. man. You know, like, I was like, this might be a little bit of a tail end of a hopefulness, but this was a full mountain that we got to climb and see the view at the top of. Man. Gotta love it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What did you think about the then next layer of meta commentary this film has around zooming out of her apartment, realizing that we're actually on set and what I suppose to be the real life Joanna Hogg or, or the representation of that yelling cut and this being then the filming of these two movies. Honestly, I'm, I'm not mad at it. I'm here for it. You go, <laughs> you go Joanna Hogg. You make that movie. You took us on a journey. You deserve to have your moment ending this movie. Hell yeah. I loved it. I think that there's a version of this where that is a little bit gimmicky and cheesy, but I think that, as you mentioned, Julie goes on such a journey and it feels like just this fill in the blanks of not only has Julie, the character, achieved a level of self-actualization and confidence by age 30, but then this character will go on to be able to create a film about this when she's, I think it's like 40s, right? Like that, that level of like insinuated growth that will happen even afterwards I just I ate it up I ate it up man my sentimental side just had a buffet <laughs> you just had a little buffet on the top of a mountain 
Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. more could you ask? Wind for? blowing in my hair, great view. Great. Wow, I did not expect to stand up here though. I was like, <laughs> I'll be happy if we make it like a hundred feet off the ground. <laughs> nope, we got a full happy ending, both in the movie and in real life. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Okay, other other things that stood out to you that you wanted to touch on? Moments, conversations. Okay, so something that we haven't talked about that we probably should talk about is her movie. Mm-hmm. The dreamlike sequence. Yeah. Yeah. What, what were your what, thoughts about it? Uh, confusion. Uh, <laughs> yep. Because I was like, oh, no. We have, we have some metaphor things going on here. I am confused. Uh, because I presumably that's not the movie that was shown to the audience. So we don't get to see the actual movie that Julie made, but we get to see a metaphorical representation of the journey that Julie went on while creating the yes. movie. <laughs> and I, I was confused, but I went, okay, this is very well done. So I'm just going to go along with it even though this is a little too much for me and I don't know what's going on here, but we're going to roll with it. I did too, which I usually love metaphors, but this was a lot. I had the same feeling that I had when uh, we are in the shroom sequence of the worst person in the world that lasts for so long as in that movie. Do you remember oh. that one? That whole trippy sequence. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Yeah. Some healing is happening. I just thought it was an efficient way for us to get us from Julie in the present to healed Julie, who has who has processed and and and, and emerged on the other side. Like, and it's just a nice, efficient way for us to get there. But yeah, all the the like visuals of being in the forest with this like beastly creature, and then emerging and kind of running back out of it. All of that, just a artsy fartsy way to show the healing process, I suppose yeah what I what I did like about that though even though I was confused is how many different genres of film and even like eras of film that showed and so that just made me really appreciate again like the the creative vision and the technical abilities to be able to pull something like that off and and put so many very different types of film together in a montage and be able to communicate a singular idea through that, I think, I think was quite impressive. Mm. I, I did have a thought at some point in there of like, maybe this is one of the scenes in her final thesis project because she pitches it as a fantasy, you know? So I was like, perhaps this is, a snippet and we, we start in the apartment and, and show some of those scenes that we saw her actually filming with her crew. But maybe there, there is, maybe this, this was part of a film that was shown. I don't know. See my, I I, I started thinking along those lines, but then uh, Anthony shows up and I'm like, but he's dead. So this can't be actually what's shown unless she, before he died, filmed these sequences because then I would have follow-up questions if she planned that far in advance so that's where I ended on 
purely metaphor because he couldn't yeah, actually be in the film. That is, that makes sense. The rules of the the world. The rules of the world need to yes. be sustained. Unless he is a ghost, and then that just yeah. opens a whole nother can of worms here. Or she planned this whole thing. Yes. And this is actually now a murder mystery and we need a part three. Absolutely. Which honestly. Her dedication to her craft is very, (laughs) very high. You know, (laughs) willingness to tell this tragic story. You see your own in real life. I had to make a movie. So he (laughs) had to die. I just, it's for the craft. It's for the good of the world. Don't you get it? My creative vision. Jokes on the dude who was complaining about not having a shot list because she had those shots prepared to film before the murder. She was ready. And then she got all of her shots and she was like, okay, now we can take him out. Yeah. I have no use for you anymore. I got my movie. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be a very different film. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. All right. So pure metaphor. That, That is what we are landing on. Yes. Okay, that is great. Far more logical. That that makes me feel better because I was confused and was like, "This has to be a metaphor." Mm-hmm. Thank you for the confirmation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Any other any other thoughts about this movie before we wrap up? Uh, okay, I have two quick little things. Um, okay. I'm ready. No, number one, we got to talk about pinky rings. <gasps> uh, there are more in here. Yes, and interestingly, they are worn by the same people as in the first one. They are. Yeah. Ooh, we didn't talk about this in the, the we, previous one. We so. did not. Nope, I did not do my due diligence in the last episode. So um, I don't remember the character's name actually for either of these. So this is going to be fun to describe. I don't remember a lot of the characters' names either. Um, so the, one of the professors at the film school, the one who is really like, Hey, you cannot make this movie. He is wearing a pinky ring. The dude with the shorter hair. Good. This holds up the theory then (laughs) your repression of this female creator's ideas and, and, and her just artistic vision. Like she's in school. You know what I mean? Like, let her make the movie. My gosh. I'm glad oh, this helps the theory. <laughs> and so then the the other person, he's not in either film a lot. Like he's only in a couple of shots in both of them. But in the first one, he is at the very beginning and he's playing a harmonica and he's wearing a pinky ring. Oh, yes. Yeah. I love that dude. Yeah. He's great. He has a good time. That's the kind of dude so, you want at your party. Just good it's vibes. True. It's true. Uh, okay, so, so I think theory. we but, need a little like asterisk with the theory in that like if you are a artist then the rule doesn't always apply <laughs> well we don't know about this dude's life that's true we don't you know May- maybe he killed Anthony which uh, then I wouldn't was- make him a villain but you know it's still not great to murder people it's about that my brain also went there. Like maybe he's a, an accomplice in Julie's Julie's plans. <laughs> okay, so jury's still out on the dude playing harmonica, but right. I also feel like though, if you play the harmonica, can you be a villain? Like, I don't know. I feel like that is not an instrument that lends itself to villainry. 
Yeah, but see, Julie knew that. That's why she included that short little shot in her movie to be like, let's do some brand marketing for you here that you are not this person. (laughs) And this is the evidence we will show the jury. So so the the thought is that the harmonica balances out the pinky ring. And so then he's neutral and we don't expect him to be the killer. Yes, exactly. Mm. Okay, this is great. See, again, dude that was complaining about the shot list, she's got one because this shot made it in for all five seconds it's on screen, if that, you know? Okay. Yeah. Excellent. I love this. This is so fun. This is, this is amazing. But Uh, yeah, there's, there's a theory there on like generally the harmonica playing people are very, very endearing humans. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like there's just something so joyful about a harmonica <laughs> that like I don't know man I, it's just good information for me if I ever decide to need to take someone out let me just yeah. learn some musical chords on the harmonica mm-hmm. beforehand Absolutely. to craft my image craft yes. my alibi yep and make sure you have no pinky rings oh this is true yeah this is very true yep yes Okay, so that my my other quick shout out that I wanted to give okay. is uh, to Julie's mother. Uh, she has the most interesting way of speaking, and she uses these fun little <gasps> phrases sometimes. And at the end of the film, she needs to use the restroom, and instead of saying "I need to use the restroom," she says, "I'm going to spend a penny." <laughs> and I just loved that. It's adorable. That is very sweet. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She's I think she needs her whole movie. That woman is yes. so interesting to me. Yeah. You know, like the the lifestyle that she leads, she's learning some pottery and she wants to fill her whole home with it. Um Tilda Swinton just does an amazing job of communicating so much emotion without her face really even moving that much, but you can sense that there's so many things going on in her brain when she's like crafting her responses to some of Julie's questions. I just I love watching it. I love watching it. Mm-hmm. Like more and more, I'm convinced that there is nothing that Tilda cannot do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love that. She's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this was our review and discussion of Souvenir Part 2. You can find it available on Paramount Plus, with the Showtime add-on. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Movies and Us. Our name sums it up. We're all about movies and the powerful ways we can connect with each other and the world around us. This podcast is about all of us and our shared stories. So everyone is welcome here and we're so glad you spent time with us today. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review letting us know your thoughts about The Souvenir Part 2. You can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at MoviesAndUsPod or email us at MoviesAndUsPod at gmail.com. We will be wrapping up uh, A24 August with our next film, Bo is Afraid. We hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you very soon.